Our favorite albums is supported by Complete Data Systems, retail software for independent retail stores. Get a free demo at retailprodemo.com. That is retailprodemo.com. Our favorite albums is a commentary, criticism, and music review podcast. All tunes are copyrighted and owned by the artists, not us. We just have to tell... (laughs) Motherfucker. We're just here to tell our opinions, which obviously are our own, and don't reflect any artist, a sponsor, or whatever. This is Our Favorite Albums. Somehow, some way, you've made your way down to this end of the internet. I don't know how you did it, but you did it. And here we are. This is our favorite albums. I'm Michael, a.k.a. Chuckling Ernie. The guy across the way from me is Jason, a.k.a. Handsome Bert, a.k.a. the more handsome of the two of us. That is undeniable. <laughs> and we are back once again with another episode of our favorite albums. For information on our podcast, for our project, for past year's top 10 albums, please go to OurFavoriteAlbums.com. For fan mail, for hate mail, for anything but lawsuits, send us an email at info at OurFavoriteAlbums.com. Hey, buddy. How's it going, man? Good. It's good to be back. Man. Um, has it been a week already? It, it has been a week. Uh, it has been. I think that the response that we got... From our friends uh, who were listening to us talk about music, has been very positive. It was. It was very positive overall. Yeah. I mean, we had. I mean, there was that one guy out there that didn't like something we had to say, but otherwise, <laughs> it's and you know who you are. Otherwise, it's been very positive. You know yes. who you, you are. You know who you are. It's our favorite albums. It's, it's not, not your favorite it's, albums. It's not, yes, not your favorite albums, and it's not the the best albums ever. This Absolutely, is, this is our favorite albums. These are the songs that we love the most. This is one hundred percent subjective. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I will go on record, I, I don't care, that Don McLean was just as, as responsible for Buddy Holly's fame as Buddy Holly's music. So there. I will agree with you 100%. And we're going to hear from that guy again, probably. <laughs> I would assume that we, on, on Facebook slash Our Favorite Albums, we'll hear from our friend once again. Here it comes. And yeah. that's okay. We love that kind of stuff. In fact, the more comments, the merrier. That's After all, this is just a conversation. That's right. Well, this whole idea started as... A conversation. A conversation, Absolutely. yeah. And so this should be a conversation. Well, you get a couple guys that just like talking about music. and Eventually it's going to happen. Give them some recording equipment. What do you think is going to happen? Yeah, eventually you and I are going to disagree on something when it comes to music. So far we've gone, yeah, that's a good one. And then I'll do one and you go, yeah, that's a good one. Uh, eventually you and I are going to get to the point where you go, dude, that is enough of that group. I think that's entirely possible. Yeah. I might do it to you first. We'll see. <laughs> we'll do everything we can do to avoid that happening, though. Whatever. Okay, so Whatever. we're doing five. We're starting with five today, yeah. right? So we uh, we started off with uh, our our ten favorite songs. We started uh, at ten and worked our, down to, our way down to six. Uh, do you have the list over there? Why don't you run down so far what our top six, ten through... Oh, by the way, there's going to be a lot of paper rattling this week. Uh, the, fir- the first time through... There's extra notes. They, they were songs that we loved. Absolutely, but this time these songs are way deeper, so we had to have more notes. So uh, last week's discussion, uh, for those of you following along at home, uh, 
my number 10 was Fool in the Rain by Led Zeppelin. Uh, Michael's number 10 was TB Sheets by Van Morrison. My number 9 was I Stay Away by Allison Chains. Michael's number 9 was YYZ by Rush. By the way, they say YYZ. Really? They do. The, the guy who wrote it, Neil. Apparently. I mean, if that's all he says, it, that's how we should probably he's, all he's, say it. He says YYZ. I, I never heard them uh, sing it that way in concert. So. Yeah. <laughs> See, that was a joke because it's an instrumental. <laughs> <laughs> my number eight was Favorite Thing by The Replacements. Michael's number eight was Jeremy by Pearl Jam. My number seven was This Must Be the Place, Nave Melody by Talking Heads. Michael's number seven was Moonlight Mile by The Rolling Stones. Michael's number, uh, my number six, sorry, was Lover, You Should Have Come Over by the great Jeff Buckley. And Michael's number six was The Nurse Who Loved Me. By failure. What, what did you listen to when you went home? Jeff Buckley. Yeah. I put the album on. Yeah, I did. I did too. That's just such a good album, right? Yeah. And yeah. it's kind of hard to beat. And it was just, it was the one that stuck with, I mean, I like all the songs, like the conversation we had, but I, that was the one that I thought it was going to stick with me, and that was the one that stuck with me. Sure. So I, I went home and turned on Charles Mingus. Ooh, nice. <laughs> I, I made brief mention of Charles Mingus in that Right uh, in that last episode, as I was talking about the uh, the, the jazz, the modal jazz. The, and by the way, we're going to get into modal jazz here. We are, yes, yeah. very shortly. Uh, but I made brief mention of of Charles Mingus in that uh, in that episode we did last time, and so I, I got to thinking, it's like, what do I want to listen to? And so uh, I was thinking, do I want to listen to Van Morrison? Like I don't, you know, because <laughs> other than I think Brown Eyed Girl is on a blowing your mind other than that the rest of that album i can do without right um and i just was not in the mood for for moon dance it's funny how that works there's songs on this list love the song i could live without the album yeah. don't need to listen to it yeah and you made a great point of that okay so here we go well we're doing number five through number one jason are, are, are you up again you want to start again with this yeah i mean unless you want to flop the i don't, I don't care i'm using I, i've got it in a playlist here well then let's keep so it the same we'll just keep it there yeah okay you're well, number five my number five is the song Summerland by the band King's X off the album Gretchen Goes to Nebraska from 1989. Uh, this is a band out of Houston. This is a th my hometown. This is a three-piece band um, that you could consider as progressive rock, I think, especially I, yeah. especially in the early days. Yeah. Um, quite a so, bit. Okay, so, so let's define progressive rock. Because we, you and I are going to talk a lot about progressive rock. Sure, We're sure. going to talk about Rush. We're going to talk about Tool. We're going to talk about Yes. We, we are, don't do look at me like that. we have to talk about we Yes? We are going to talk about Yes, those guys were good music. <laughs> but what makes progressive rock progressive rock? Arnold, what's your definition? Uh, so, uh, fancy time signatures and fancy keys and lots of crooked notes and lots of complex compositions sure versus the uh the simple complex musicianship and instrumentation um yeah. as opposed to three chord rock right there you go yeah usually okay. combined with i mean and when i say usually combined with uh, superior skills all players, superior musicians. Yes, musicianship yeah. is top notch. Whether that's vocally, rhythmically, whatever, they're all very good as a general rule. Right. And one of the th one of the things that really bothers me about this generation of kids uh, is the music that they love. Of course, every generation goes back to your parents, and the parents are always like, "Your music sucks." I said, "You sound like the old man with the corner right now." Hey, kids, cloud, <laughs> get out of here, cloud. You know that kind of thing. But but, but fair point though. I mean, I, I have teenagers, and they're the amount of auto tune. 
that is used now and like backing tracks and I mean you got two guys in a room with a computer and you can make an album and yeah. make a bazillion dollars and good for them. Yeah. That's just not anything that I find interesting. That at goes all. completely it's the antithesis of that ten thousand hours thing where you do something for ten thousand hours and you become an expert. Right. These guys who were were honking on a saxophone until their lips were bleeding. Right. The or, guys that play guitar until their fingers bled. Fingertips fell yeah. off. You, you uh Stevie Ray Vaughan, you've told me before. I guess he has super glue his fingers. The, yeah, ca- the calluses back on his fingers. The, the calluses yeah. would fall off, and he'd super glue his fingertips back on. He also played with the heaviest gauge guitar strings that any man has probably ever played with. So, yeah, But right. still, I mean, that, that, once again, that's that dedication level that you're yeah, talking about. Over and over right. and over again. Whereas Britney Spears w- would only wash her hair with, like, Evian water. Right. right? <laughs> hey, listen. I mean, that, same that's, thing. That's, same thing. There's a lot of talent involved in the Evian water thing. you got to be honest, though. Let's, let's, let's be frank about that. Well, I mean, listen, you got you gotta sacrifice, <laughs> you gotta sacrifice something, something for your craft, right? Uh, exactly. You gotta put the effort into it. Why Kings X? Um, I have always been, and I say always, I mean, since the first time I heard him, this is their second album. Um, the first one was Out of the Silent Planet, mm-hmm. uh, which is it's okay. Um, th- this is, I, I think, this is a consummate uh, album of the time period, and uh, I mean, this is we're talking eighty nine, so we're coming out of the 80s rock and roll and we're moving into the 90s rock and roll and this is kind of in the middle right the, the talent level is is huge with these guys and, and they write catchy hooks um ty Tabor is one of my favorite guitar players of all time um just just a huge huge fan of the guy right um and he i would not say that he is uh, he's not an alex life's and he's not like an overly technical uh shredder type of virtuoso he's more of a blues player really in a lot of ways okay but but also very melodic and kick the song off very melodic right yeah and he plays a lot of arpeggios Uh um which on this song he's about to do as well um Mm -hmm. you know notes within the chords as opposed to just chords so an arpeggio we'll talk about that a lot when we say arpeggio for those of you at home that aren't necessarily musicians that means you're making a chord structure like on a guitar you're making a chord shape with your fingers and instead of strumming all of them at once you're going right down the strings and da, da, da. Yeah, you're playing a note within the you're playing notes within the chord in a pattern. Right. So um, which is about what we're we're about to hear here. We're going to hear it right off the bat. Now now before, before we start, please. Um, I want to point out that you said this before this was a trio and this is about as powerful a trio as it gets. This is uh, and you even mentioned the 12 string bass that Doug Panic plays. That's correct. Yeah, so we had talked about that with a Pearl Jam that Jeff Ament opened right. up Jeremy right. with a 12 string bass yeah. and I said yeah. we're going to get another 12 string before this list this is, is over. This is it, right? He played a hammer 12 string bass on the okay. first couple albums um, which and it's very the sound of that is very apparent in this song and we'll mm-hmm. talk about that but you can really hear um the amount of sonic space it takes up, if you will. Yeah. And unlike Jeff Ament, who is a fine bass player, but he plays a little bit more simplistic, whereas you're going to hear Doug do a lot of riffs, and riffs on a 12-string bass is obviously not particularly easy, but that does cover up a lot of space. Right. And Jerry's a fantastic drummer. He plays sure. all over the place. So Doug is also the singer, and his vocal range is staggering. Correct. But also it's worth noting that both Jerry and Ty sang background vocals. Sang background. So you get a lot of three-part harmonies with these guys, which is... Super unusual for rock bands like this, right? You know, when you, especially when you got a guy that can. This is almost like Beatlesque, sure. if you will, with the backing harmonies and the way that they do things. And it's a so once again, very unusual mix of sounds. I mean, almost like a almost this soulful. I mean, you'll hear some of the stuff that Doug does on this is almost like soul singing, right? You know, and. Did he grow up in the church? Isn't that the thing? Is he grew up like in a yeah in some kind of he, he was raised by his uh, grandmother, I okay. believe, um, in a, kind of a southern. 
And you can feel that in his you, voice. You, 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 you can always always feel that from him. I'm going to go ahead and hit start. Please do. Please uh, so do. We're, listening we'll for, we're, we're listening for the arpeggios from the guitar up and down the notes. We're listening for that bass. And the last thing that I want to point out as the drummer is Jerry Gaskell hits the fucking drums <laughs> so He's, hard. He is a monster. A monster. When you, if you ever see like videos of them when they were... Um, you know, back in the in the nineties when those guys were really really big and, and it shows Jerry Gaskell. It he look. You remember the old cartoon when Bugs Bunny is playing baseball and uh, he's beating the other team. The guy gets up there and he's carved out like a tree and he's holding like a tree trunk. That's exactly. what Jerry Gaskell looks like. He's holding to like two sticks that he's torn off of a tree and he's back there smacking on the drums. Yeah, and I, I've seen these guys live a few times and he hits hard and they are loud. They are so loud. Really, really, really loud. All right, this is Summerland King's X and this Here we is go. from. Gretchen goes to Nebraska from 1989. Arpeggios. There we go. Right. The tone on this Fantastic. Is, is so rich. <laughs> so, uh, for the first few albums, uh, in the first early part of King's X's career, everybody wanted to know what Ty played, what kind of amp. And he actually covered it in a box because he didn't want people to know what he was playing. And he was actually playing, um, I think it's a lab. It's a 70, late 70s, early 80s solid state amp. I mean, there was nothing to it. Yeah. Really? Those are those harmonies. So this is not a case of second verse, same as the first. The bass playing is going to change. They can pick it up here a little bit. Listen to what Doug does on the bass during this part. Okay, now same thing except more. Yeah. Yeah. On the 12 string, so right. Almost hear the snare, the head of that snare drum ripping. You know? <laughs> yeah, you can't. He's hitting really it can. so hard, right? I mean, it, it, it sounds like he's just tearing it. He's just all playing the hell out of everything. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's that's such a like a fire hot tone on that guitar. Oh yeah. Everything's still going on underneath it. So we've had the arpeggio and like a kind of a more intricate bass part on the first two verses. And then after they come out of this little instrumental section, they go into the third verse. It all changes very dramatically. Angry and aggressive, right? Yeah. We, we, the the, uh, the finesse goes away, and now we're just going to hammer through it. And what's that soul sound there? It's that bass just churning. So bluesy, huh? Yeah, that bass is so low. Wow, that vibrato is crazy. So much control, right? Yeah. So much control. And that's in a high register, too. So, drop D. Um, okay. is something that these guys played in 
constantly. And right. I, I had never really known anything about that. Of course, this is 89. I didn't start playing guitar Oop. for another year. No, you're fine. <laughs> Got a little jumping on there. And, uh, but they do the drop D, which is where you turn the, the, the low, the tune, the low string on the guitar from E down to D. So okay. you get like a deeper, heavier sound. So it's going a full step on the, on right. the lowest note. You're going a full step lower than the guitar would normally Correct. go. And, and this is, a, and so it obviously changes the chord dynamics and whatnot, but uh, sorry, everybody. I'm kind of nerding out here a little bit, but it, uh, guys, listen, if, if you're listening to this, just assume that we're going to try to teach you something that uh, you may not I, even want to know it. I'm going to uh, learn some <laughs> of it too, because this is heavy guitar. And so the, the drop D thing is cool because a lot of the bands that we like, um, that are on this list, like early 90s grunge bands, did a lot of drop D. Yeah. This is kind of where that heavy sound, of course, and eventually it goes crazy and people get down to C and all sorts of weird stuff. But right. the drop D really adds a lot. Of, so that's a lot of that heaviness and that real fullness right. that you hear. And, and I don't think that these guys can be, let me phrase that, I don't think you can underestimate the influence that King's X had on rock bands in the 90s. I think you're right. Even though most people have no idea who they are and have never heard of them before. I, I think you're right. I, I think if you go back and you look at some of the grunge uh, pioneers, the guys that are considered to be uh, the bands that were emerging from that that 80s. I, I mentioned it in, in the bonus ex- episode. There's a lot of like pentatonic, you know, like opera type bull crap. Uh, but there, there were a few bands that I can think of that are absolutely the ones who were contributing to what grunge turned into uh, it turned you know heavy two and four beat uh lots of bluesy guitar stuff versus the, the dramatic stuff right uh a lot of social commentary you know or, uh, or even or even more uh fanciful stuff like the things that were more uh personalized yeah. as opposed to where you have like more direct songs where i saw the girl or yeah. I, you know girl, that, i love you right girl underneath, exactly. the, underneath the window yeah but, but this is more like where i don't fit this is deeper yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I i i don't feel like that i belong in this world and, and that was the stuff that was grunge so so the bands i have in mind the melvins uh pixies uh king's x by all means some of the early sonic youth stuff sure uh, sure i mean all the all that stuff uh, you know uh, kurt cobain even said that when he was doing his his uh, his power chord stuff. All he was doing was just copying the pixies. Copying the pixies. Yeah, 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 the soft loud, soft loud, soft loud, soft loud. Yeah, I mean yeah. that was kind of their thing. Yeah, yeah. right, exactly. And a lot of that uh, that grungy stuff had that. Fun fact for you, real quick. Um, okay. Speaking of their influence, uh, in 2011, Doug and Jeff Ament actually recorded an album together. Really? And Mike McCready played guitar on it. It was a Jeff Ament was a huge uh, Doug fan. So okay. once again, there we go full circle with that information, right? Yeah. It was a Trace Mountains. That was the name of the group. That was the name or of the, the project. Group. That was the name of the project. Trace yeah. Mountains. Yeah. Huh. Don't ask me why. It's a. I mean, look it up if you want to. It's not fantastic, but uh, but it just I think it goes to show just kind of the influence. So if, if you're listening along here and you've never listened to King's X, uh, I, I'm going to implore you to go check out King's Please X. Please do. Yeah. Uh, I think part of me, Jason, I've always been kind of like a, a, a silently desperate bass player. I, the bass is a fantastic instrument. I, 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 I want to like, play bass so much. I uh, probably enjoy it more than the guitar, to be quite honest. If, it's if, fun. Yeah, and, and if, if you give me the opportunity where you go, you get to listen to any person completely isolated from the band, from these famous bands, what instrument are you going to pick? If you ask me, it's going to be bass. I'm going to listen to John Entwistle isolated on sure, the sure. albums. I'm going to listen to, of course, it's really hard not to isolate um, Primus when you get to it. 
Well, Primus is basically a bass with two other guys. Yeah, there, it's, so, it's, it's yeah. percussive bass. And so Les Claypool the, the, is, you know, the, the genius behind Primus. But those guys, as, as weird as they are, that's a progressive oh, rock sure, band. Sure. I, because, I think you can make that point. Uh, because of the musicality there. And, and it, it was weird. It was quirky. Um, that's putting it mildly. Yeah. But Frank Zappa is Frank Zappa. Progressive rock. Do, do we have to talk about Frank Zappa? We absolutely have to oh. talk about Frank Zappa. Do we really? <laughs> At some point, shake, all right, your, all shake right. your booty will be there. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was uh, that was my number five. Yep, my, my last point on that. Yeah, go for um, it, please. My research said that Jerry Gaskell wrote that song, uh, and the lyrics. You mean? The, yeah, the lyrics. Probably and so. It was about uh, he had gone back to his uh, his home state of Mississippi, and he had been around some of his family, and he had this like pastoral, perfect environment kind of idea in his mind that he'd always thought about that the summerland summerland the perfect the perfect place right and he gets there and uh he, he finds it to be kind of hateful and he kind of finds it to be uh a, a spiteful environment that he really didn't and he just didn't remember it that way because yeah. it was and in his so, head yeah it's just kind of the lyrics are kind of what you uh were you imagine I mean, it's summerland is everything was perfect everything you know the sky's in blue everything's in love with you yeah et cetera et cetera you, you know and so, it, it, and, I, and that's what that's what Doug, uh, the, the article that I read with Doug Pinnock, the singer, uh, he was saying that was old Jerry and Jerry gone back, and it wasn't as perfect as he thought it was when he was a kid, and he was wishing he could go back to that innocence. Gotcha, gotcha. And, and I love that theme. Yeah, the whole like you're finally getting old, the wind is finally getting cold. We're, you know, yeah. we're finally here. We, we've come across the point where uh, we've gotten old, which is a great segue. To my number five. It absolutely is. So Now then, uh, I mentioned on episode one that you and I shared a favorite song in our top ten, and this is it. It is. You won the. Uh, you won this one, and for, for, technical, for technicality, it was ranked higher on your list than it was on mine, right. so you got to keep it. That's yeah. right. Uh, we are talking about the epic classic rock song, Time, by Pink Floyd, from the epic album, Dark Side of the Moon. 1973. 1973 is when this came out. Uh, now, back to vinyl. If you this own is... a record player and you don't own Dark Side of the Moon, go buy it right now. Send me an email. Let me know where your address is so I can come over and whoop your ass. <laughs> because you have got to have Dark Side of the Moon on vinyl if you're into records, right? This is absolutely one of those albums that exists to be listened to from front to back without skipping to the songs that you like to hear. Yeah. And, and and the problem with this is that if you've only ever listened to this for th- this album for the singles like like Time for instance, right. and you never did the seg- allowed it to go through with everything else in the background, you're missing the album experience completely. That's right. There was a the Houston this is an aside sorry, I'm not trying to hijack your song, but the uh, Well, to, to be fair, it's yours too. Okay, that's <laughs> so true. You hijack all you want to because the, uh, you share this one. The Planetarium in Houston at the uh, Natural History Museum when I was in high school used to do a laser light show. Yeah. To dark side of the moon there used to be a traveling one when we were in high school okay. that would come around uh and on on i believe on the edge for sure maybe on uh q102 uh they would advertise this laser light show yeah it was and in the was, planetarium and it was uh dark side of the moon it was fantastic yeah i remember it mostly being fantastic yeah or so, mostly remember it being forget it so let, uh, let me give you a little background on this go for it uh dark side of the moon uh is mostly the genius musicianship of uh, of roger waters who played the bass and wrote a lot of this. Uh, however, Roger Waters was an original member of Pink Floyd, along with Sid Barrett. Sid Barrett was really the genius behind the 60s version of Pink Floyd. And Sid Barrett uh, was 
I mean brilliant. He was a brilliant, brilliant musician. And then something happened to Sid Barrett. Sid Barrett started taking copious amounts of acid. And did not recover. (laughs) And he had some weekend where he and a couple of his acid buddies went off. And something happened where they locked him in a trunk or locked him in a closet or something happened. And then he went missing. And when they found him, he was different. And he descended into madness. And I don't mean madness as in, God, he's acting weird or he's spending a lot of money. I mean... Like institutionalized levels of madness. Yeah. Yeah. And he never recovered. Right. And they had to kick him out of the band. Uh, David Gilmore was one of his friends. And as Sid Baird became more and more dysfunctional, they had to remove him from the band. Right. And David Gilmore became the front man. Uh, But still, it was Roger Waters who was was writing a lot of the stuff, right? Right. And I think uh, Waters took over the lion's share of the songwriting after right. Barrett left. Right. So uh, this album and uh, The the Wall, their double album, are both predominantly Roger Waters. Roger Waters. Genius. Yeah. yeah. And eventually he and David Gilmore and Nick Mason and uh, Richard Wright. Richard Wright was the other guy. Uh, those guys got to the point in the 80s where they just couldn't stand each other anymore and they had to split. Uh, yeah, Roger Waters left and then the other guys went on and yeah. released the... Learn, learning to fly. What, what was that? Uh, Division Bell. Division Bell. But yeah. this, the track off it was yeah. "Learning to Fly," which is a gorgeous song. Gorgeous song. Yeah, yeah. but it's definitely not this. So it's definitely not Roger Waters. Lots of synth and stuff, right? Uh, so uh, this song in my top ten is unique in that it doesn't have a like a really deep meaning. What it's saying is your life is getting ready to pass you by. You're getting older. As a matter of fact, one of the one of the the lyrics on this thing that I absolutely love goes, so you run and you run to catch up with the sun, but it's sinking and racing around to come up behind you again. The sun is the same in a relative way, but you're older, shorter of breath, and one day closer to death. It's brilliant. If you were on your deathbed and read that, you would cry, right? Because (laughs) then you're looking at it, oh my God, I'm going to die. But is there a better way to describe that feeling of mortality, of going, this thing is going to come to an end. And that's what these guys were writing with the song Time. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So it, so here's kind of a, a funky thing with Time, is it has a two-minute intro that uh, has clocks and stuff. I'm, I'm going to let it go here for a bit, and I'm I mean, going to fast forward. Is that okay? Yeah, that, that's fine. I mean, once again, if you're listening to this as, an, as a whole album... This is necessary it is. because it sets the tone, and there's there's little pieces between all the all the tracks, oh you know, and the segues, and <laughs> it's it's maddening. It's it's going crazy, right? Um, these guys did a couple of songs that were representative of that chaotic, crazy mind, right. uh, specifically in reference back to Sid Barrett. One of which was "Shine On You, Crazy Diamond," right. which was written about specifically him, for him about yeah. Sid Barrett. And this one, it sounds like a heartbeat. And then here we go. Those clocks, by the way, were all each individually recorded in a clock shop. That I did not know. Yeah. <laughs> really. Now, if you wanted to go have a bunch of clocks starting a song off, uh, you, you would just so, hey, punch computer. Up, yeah, just punch up the clock sound on the computer, please, yeah. and let's just go with that. Yeah, you Google clock. Well, in 1972 or whenever they were putting this together, you couldn't Google clock. No. You, know? you had to go to a clock store. But the idea of recording each individual clock is... The dedication level, and also they must have had a very large budget for this album if they could afford to send a studio engineer out to do that. I think they did. I'm sure, yeah. This is a huge album. Yeah. And this was on the heels of a very large album. It was 
quite a bit of success. Give just a little bit of volume here because the, like the sonic level of this, when we talk about vinyl, uh, vinyl captures, if you're looking at a wave on a computer, a sound wave on a computer, uh, it captures everything from the, the low stuff, the low frequencies, all the way to the high stuff. Whereas if you compress that into a digital format, it just squeezes everything down to a, a much uh, a thinner pipe. Therefore, the low-level stuff that's supposed to be low is the same volume as the high-level stuff. And so that, that's called dynamic compression. Yeah, and what you're missing is the dynamics. You, you're missing the nuance. Yeah. And my friend, there's nuance with Time by Pink Floyd. singers right Talk about David Gilmore. One of the absolute greats of yeah. all time. I mean, that, that that guitar playing right there that I'm talking over like an asshole is just absolutely some of the best ever. It, it it's is fantastic. And what's what's remarkable about David Gilmore uh, is he puts a lot of air under all of his notes. There is a lot of feeling, like a lot of it. He's very expressive. Right, right. You're but, right. There's air under there. But, but he leaves a lot of notes out. When he goes from here to here. There's a whole lot of notes he leaves out, whereas a lot of guitar players would intend to put a lot of notes in between. It, it's it's not natural to want to not play in a guitar solo. You know, I mean, it takes like you want to fill it up with space, whereas yeah. he's just getting it across, man. He's just getting in there, right? Yeah. But but it, it's just like everything just kind of flows and you know, just kind of floating on the wings of a of the bird. Or well, and, and speaking to that, here we go. Listen to the air. See, hear that? Talk about dreaming. Yeah. And, and can you imagine someone who's dealing with um, someone who's dealing with some mental issues if they feel like everything is just kind of floaty? Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Or maybe maybe life, he's talking about life kind of passing him by. Maybe life kind of seems like it goes real slow. Here's here's that yeah. line that I was saying before. Right. You run and you run up with the sun. Those, those little riffs on the guitar going up and down are genius. On a surround sound? The, the level of mixing on this starts way up there and ends up way over here. Oh, yeah. And it's all in between. I agree with that. Yeah. There's a funny line here when he the quiet desperation is the English way. The English I think way. that's hilarious. Yeah. It's so prim and proper. Yeah. 
quiet desperation, yeah. This is the Woo Woo's. Well, American Soul. <laughs> again, uh, again. The English way. So I love the reprise. The reprise is a. This is back, revisit, to, the first, back yeah. to the first track on the album, Breathe. Yeah. So a reprise is a revisit back to a previous piece, and that's what this is. This is. The just song a real quick, just a real quick breathe. back to the first song on the album, just kind of revisiting it. Yeah. You come home from work after a long day. <laughs> home again. <sighs> here I am. He just talked about the desperation of life. And I also kind of wondered with that verse, I like to be here when I can. I mean, is he talking about finally getting off the road or maybe they've been on tour for a long time and just like it's nice to come back to a, a comfortable place for once? I don't know. Is he lamenting having to relax? I don't know. He says it's good to... I don't know. Maybe he's being facetious about the whole thing. I think he is. I, I, I think there's a... Um, I love the way this ends. My goodness. I, I what can't, a great track. I, I can never get tired of this song. I agree. And, and Except the clocks. <laughs> I can do without the clocks. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I know that it's integral. You have to have them in I the don't, but I, get, I get what you're saying. It's kind of hard to get excited about listening to clocks, right? Yeah. I mean, it, 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 it is what it is. That, that is one of my favorite tunes of all time. And I, I think is it's on a fantastic album. But even mm-hmm. even on the album, that stands out as just being, that is that is a high point. Right. Uh, there's some weird filler on that album. That was engineered on purpose. That the rumor always was that if you turn on Wizard of Oz and on the third roar of the MGM Lion, play the album, you start this album and you play it all the way through, that the song was written and engineered to match up with what's going on in the screen. I've always heard that. I've tried it. Have you? I have never. I've never tried that. It's 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 cool, I guess. You know? I I guess. Maybe. uh, there's a time and place for everything, Jason, and that is called college. <laughs> college is the place you go to do that because you go, I see what they mean. I was just going to say, oh, this is cool, man. It totally I, works. I totally understand what they're trying to do. Yeah, you know, here. that's a fair point. You probably wouldn't get me into a laser light show for Pink Floyd right now. but I, <laughs> Oh, yeah. When I was 18, I thought it was fantastic. I ain't going anywhere. <laughs> lasers. I can sit at home and watch that. You know, you know like put the, just put it on a set on the couch and that'll do it for me. Hey, that's a that was a great selection. Man. My, well done. Well my done. number five. Time, Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon from 1973. So we're going to take a uh, we're going to take a little little divergence here. Okay. Um, I thought you were going to say we're going to take a break. Oh no, not, no 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 no! Scare me. No, no, no. I, I was, I still, I, those of you at home couldn't see me like doing the. Like, no, we're not taking a break. No, we're not taking a break. We're taking a, a, a kind of a marked change from the last couple tracks, though. I think um, this is the the only jazz song. Pure jazz song that we have on the top ten list. Yep, um, this is "So What" by Miles Davis, off the fantastic album "Kind of Blue," nineteen fifty nine. This is the first track off of that album. Uh, obviously, sets the mood for the rest of the album, uh, and is my favorite jazz song of all time. I, I don't listen to a lot of jazz. But the jazz I like, I listen to a lot, if that makes any sense. And most of the jazz that I like is all comprised from this very specific 
genre subgenre of jazz and from this time period, if right. you will. You know, right. um, Miles Davis and Coltrane and those Charles Mingus. Mingus, Mingus yeah, Cannibal yeah. Adderley, so all that kind of Mingus, stuff from this period. Mingus, um, I believe, came out in '59 as well. Okay, yeah, you're probably right about that. Yeah. So uh, I'm gonna actually I'm gonna let you nerd on this for just a second. Thank you. You got some good notes. I know you're very into talking about the modal stuff. So why don't you explain the modal piece of this and then anything else you want to talk about? The rundown of this album, the individuals playing on this, reads like a Hall of Fame roster. I actually have in my notes that it's a who's who of who you could possibly pick to play on something. This is amazing. This This is everybody that matters at the time. The great American style of music is jazz. Without question. Is jazz. Everything that came before jazz... And everything that came after jazz Somewhere was else. either leading up to or leading from jazz. I, I think you could make the argument, and uh, somebody else has said this. This is not me. Um, I'm stealing this. That jazz is, I mean, at least up until the time period that he said this, really the only original form American. of American, American music. That's yeah. right. That's right. Everything else was imported, came over with. Uh, this was actually, especially, th- this was created here. This is our thing, if you will. That's right. That's right. Uh, so... Oddly enough, uh, the album Kind of Blue uh, is one of my all-time favorite albums of all time. And my track playing number on this, I, I, I can't even tell you how many times I've listened to it. Uh, I learned I learned music from a man named Buddy Matei. Uh, he had us, he, he was our stage band or our jazz band director. But this man taught me music. Uh, I know music because of Buddy Matei, uh, a great man. I wish more people knew Buddy. Buddy uh, is from Bowling Green, Kentucky. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, played uh, in a traveling circus right out of high school. A, a traveling circus. A traveling circus in the band. Uh, and if I'm not mistaken, uh, I think he, he, he may hammer me on this, but I think he played trombone, but he's not a trombone player. He's a saxophone player. I guess I haven't been to a lot of circuses. I didn't realize they had They bands. used to back then. Okay. Yeah. Uh, back, they had a live band at the circus back then. So when he graduated high school, he went on tour with a with a circus. I may be getting these these completely wrong. That's what it makes, <laughs> Mr. Matei. If you're out there, please correct me. But but regardless, it makes for a hell of a story, it, one way or the other. It does. Um, I don't know anyone of the musicians I've ever been around. I don't know anyone who has who knows music more than Buddy Matei, and he had us play. Uh, a song called All Blues mm-hmm. from this album. This album has five songs on it. Correct. Uh, but this was my first introduction to what jazz was all about. Okay. And Mr. Matei, he actually wrote music for Doc Severinsen on The Tonight Show. No kidding. This is a man who kn- he knows stuff. Buddy Matei's a great man. Uh, but let's talk about jazz for a second. Jazz, the American jazz, came up through some of the early pioneers. Uh, Louis Armstrong. We know Louis Armstrong, right? And so it was, uh, this is... Dixieland stuff. Yeah, the Dixieland stuff. Uh, this is the chord. This is the structure. This is the way the melody goes. And so we're going to follow along with that. And they would chart these things out. Every single note was charted out. That way, these big bands, they, they knew what to follow. You get into some of the guys that came after that. Count Basie, Sonny Rollins, uh, these guys who were coming along, they were taking that concept and they were changing it. And Miles Davis is the forefather of post-bop jazz or hard bop jazz. It came from bebop jazz uh, that the guys like Sonny Rollins and those cats were playing. And then it got into modal jazz. Right. And here we go. This is modal. This, this is, is the beginning. Modal. Yeah. So instead of these are the notes that go into the song, these, what he would do is he would go, we're playing 
16 bars of this. We're playing 16 bars of this. We're going to return with eight bars of this and eight bars of this, and we're going to go back to the front. I don't care what you play inside there. It just has to be inside of this. This, this, of is, this. this is improvisational. This is predominantly improvisational jazz. Yeah. I mean, we've give, I've given you a chord structure, and we're going to go so far, like you just said, and then you guys just take off and, and do what you want to do. That's right. Yeah. You know, and to, the, to your point, like most of this album was recorded in one, two takes. I mean, a lot of this stuff was not even rehearsed. One or two. Yeah. yeah. I mean, basically, all these guys, and we're talking greats here. I mean, we went through some of the names. Cannonball Adderley. Cannonball Adderley is, I, I can't even tell you how, a monster. how great of a saxophone John Coltrane is. is one of the greatest of all time. One of the greatest. Yeah. In fact, he, he's probably, uh, his Love Supreme is probably my second favorite jazz album of all time. I mean, he's amazing. Yeah. Um, Bill, B- Bill, Bill, Bill Evans on piano. Paul Chambers. On, I mean, this is, these guys are amazing. Okay, so, uh, Miles Davis on, on trumpet, mm-hmm. Cannonball Adderley and John Coltrane on saxophone, Bill Evans on piano. I don't have Gil Evans, G-I-L Evans, listed on here who wrote some of the songs and was producing the album. But didn't play on the track. No right. relation to Bill. They right, just right. happened to have names that sound similar. Uh, but Gil Evans and Miles Davis did some of the greatest jazz compositions ever together. Uh, and then you have Paul Chambers, who is so solid on the bass, this big stand-up bass without any well, well, and when you kick this, when you kick the song off here, like the, the piano and the bass, like the way this gets started, like this is just like such a mood-setting jazz thing. Yep. Um, it, the, the bass on this is just absolutely fantastic. The whole thing is fantastic, obviously. But back to the point, when we get this who's who, and these guys are you know, walking into the studio, and Miles is like, "All right, here, let's roll with it. You guys flip the tape, and let's see what happens." They, they, they would set they would set a microphone up uh, on the drums. By the way, Jimmy Cobb was a drummer okay, and yeah. uh, a pioneer of jazz. I mean, it, it, again, this is a who's who list of jazz musicians. And I know there's a lot of people out there that so far you've heard what we've done. It's rock and roll, this right, or whatever. Right, right. And then suddenly we pull this jazz composition out, and we're totally nerding out. I you, to go is, you have to go jazz. and if you don't think you like jazz and if you don't want to go into the time to deal and like go into the theory and figure out who the musicians are whatever you don't think you like jazz it's not a genre you're into i would just encourage you to pull up your itunes or your spotify or whatever it is you stream music on and just pull up kind of blue pull up kind of just give it a listen and you yeah. may decide that you actually like jazz and you didn't know it and what you're going to do when you pull up kind of blue is you're going to start with this song There's Bill Evans on piano, Paul Chambers on on that big bass. The intro doesn't follow the pattern of the rest of the, rest no, of the it's song, by the way. Completely different. Uh, they're going to get into <laughs> my buddy Furley. Hey, buddy. Hey, Furley. How's it going, man? Uh, Furley wanted to make sure that I didn't get too nerdy when it came to the musicianship. But for those of you who are out there who are listening, and this makes sense, I think too late. We're playing this in uh, the key of D. But in Dorian mode, which is all the white, if you're looking at a piano, all the white keys. So it's actually all the letters that are in a C major, but you're starting on D. And then it's going to go to E flat Dorian, which is uh, an A flat major chords. And you just start on E flat. And here we go. Yeah, so they, they start off with this completely different. And then just kind of subtly bring, here we go. Here comes the here, here comes the theme. Here we go. And then now we just got... Just gonna kind of kick off here, yeah. real, real gentle, like. Miles would go in and go, "We're gonna go like this." By the way, he had a he had a throat damage. 
And so that's why you talk like this. I thought he was just being cool. No, no, no. no. So he had throat damage. Uh, so he would walk in and go, it's going to start off with this. And Paul, you're going to do this. And after 16 bars and then eight bars and then eight bars again, we're going to go and I'll point to you. And, and you take you're the one that plays. And Coltrane, you play. And then you're going to play a solo. And then I'm going to play a solo. And we're going to go back and forth until this thing is done. And that, my friend, is modal jazz. Yep. And here we go. That's not a bass. I'd like that's that what you think of as jazz bass, right? That walking up and down and the little cymbal in the background there, just kind of steady, steady as she goes, if you will. J Jimmy Cobb knew where one was constantly for hours at a time. Could you imagine just sitting there, just hitting the ride cymbal on the one and the two and the three and the four? You gotta really love playing the music. You can hear that brushed snare drum back there. Yeah, just, just kind of barely tapping it. You hear the bass drum? You can't hear the bass drum. You might hear a tom from time to time when he picks up a filter, that kind of that kind of thing. I mean, mostly he's just keeping them going. He's keeping a one, two, three. He's just four, keeping everybody in line. Yeah. That's Miles. That's Miles Davis playing. I love Miles so much uh, until the bitches brew. Electric bass came in with that. I was out. I can't. I can't do any of that. There are. Um, this is going to be our cool background music right. when we talk about jazz. All right. All right. All right. All right baby. <laughs> My voice gets way deep, doesn't it? All right. Uh, Miles was the first like heavy metal guy. Yeah. Yeah. What What we know as uh, Rebels. Oh yeah, he was. That was Miles Davis. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, just, he, he was the stuff that. You know, if, if uh, your parents listened to the Fleetwoods and, uh, you know, all that kind of cramp, campy crap back in the 60s, Miles Davis was a finger to, oh, uh, sure. to the man. Sure. But I just can't take anything after this period. Yeah. So you didn't like sketches of Spain? Not as much. Okay. Okay. No. I get it. I mean, it's okay. It's okay. Right, here we go. Saxophone solo. Cannonball Adderley didn't play on the song, by the way. Did you know that? No. Yeah. He's listed in the credits. Not on the song. Uh, just on the rest of the album. Yeah, I got you. That's cool for Yeah. Yeah. The style of... David Gilmore puts air underneath his. These guys, there's no air escaping. Yeah. It's, it's catching every single note that's there. Just enough of a pause to take a breath. Yeah. And feel it. He, he went so high up on the bass back there, he almost dropped out of the recording. <laughs> Do you know why uh, Paul Chambers uh, was was known for? Not only was he was he plucking that bass from time to time, he would pull out a bow and pull it across. Really? Yeah. Orchestra style. Yeah, orchestra yeah. style. Yeah. Classic music. Classic music. Yeah. That's, that's true mastery of that instrument. Yeah. To be able to play it in two different genres. Yeah. So I, I think it's great that you can auto tune your voice, Kanye. But Did, uh, didn't we just talk about that at the beginning? Yeah. Yeah. yeah you. you Kanye, you're no Paul Chambers. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so if you're listening now and you're I, bored with this. I need a martini. Can I, we get a martini? Can somebody bring a martini in here, please? I, I, I'm going to need to get a camel cigarette and break the filter off. Oh, exactly. Yeah. And sunglasses. We need yeah. some sunglasses on inside. The, the I mean, this is just cool, though. I mean, this is this is the soundtrack to cool. Yeah. The, the Actually, his next album was The Birth of the Cool, I think. Birth so. of the Cool was, came before this. Oh, was that the one before yeah. this? Okay. Yeah. Uh, tragedy of this lifestyle 
is that so many of these great musicians were lost to heroin addiction. It was kind of the uh, it was kind of the thing. It was M- Miles had a severe heroin addiction. Uh, Coltrane died of a heroin overdose, I believe. Uh, it was just part of the culture within this jazz world. But again, these guys were the rebels. They were the heavy metal. At, at one time, they were the one. You know this what? Was, this was rebellion culture. Yeah, it was. Yeah. So, uh, so um, the, the social fight for civil liberties for, for for black men and women started in the public eye with American jazz, with bebop post-bop jazz because Miles Davis wasn't going to take any shit off <laughs> he wasn't going to take you back and, and Charles Mingus was the same way Mingus uh, um, uh, had lyrics to it by the way F- uh, Fabus Fables uh, actually had lyrics and it was all about the governor of Arkansas who wouldn't let the little girls go to uh, not Arkansas uh, Little Rock Arkansas wouldn't let the little girls go to school after integration and so th- that song Fables of Fabus uh, it was, was about that governor uh, and it is excoriating that man for being a racist and not letting those girls go to school. And, and, and that's hilarious because now this is uh, like jazz is like our parents' music, right? I mean, I, I like a lot of it. And I listen to it. Like I said, like this kind of stuff. My mom you, listens to Britney Spears. Okay. <laughs> She's going to listen to this and go, no, that's my kids' music. Yeah, my mom does not. But, uh, <laughs> if I, I mean, if you, if you, but you understand what I'm saying? Like you put on this now, this is kind of like considered to be, this is kind of. Old timey, right? Really, you know, yeah, you know, it's, yeah. it's nice. You yeah. know, it's not rebellious. There's nothing rebellious. This is this is safe. This sure. is easy going. This is probably the tamest track on our list. But at the time, I mean, everything everything is what it is when it is, right? I mean, this in, in its time period, this was something very different than what it is now. Per capita, all things equal. This could be the most rebellious of all the songs on our list. If you consider it at the time that it came out. Yeah. yeah. What was the social setting and whatnot. Sure. I think that's a valid point. It's an occult move here. He he almost he invents a song there, but and that was kind of the beauty of the modal jazz stuff is these guys would hit on a lick that sounded good to them at that time and they would play it over and over and over. Just kind of run with it, yeah, yeah, and then it'd be done and it was just kind of gone into the ether. Uh, Miles even said uh, later on in his lifetime they would go back and go, why did you never play this song this way? And he said, I never even listened to my albums after they were recorded. Uh, so as many times as I've listened to Kind of Blue, as many times as you've listened to Kind of Blue, it's it's an infinite amount more than Miles Davis ever listened to. That's interesting. Yeah. It's like an author never reading his book. But I mean, I guess if you wrote it and you were there when it happened, then what's the point of revisiting it? For him, it happened once. It was the uh, the feeling and the spirit and the and that's the a, that's, a, that's a different way of creating music too, though, right? I mean, you got you know a lot of people that might you know demo their songs and rehearse them and then go into the studio and write with the rest of the band and where this guy is just like alright I got some chords guys let's run with this thing yeah. you, know, you haven't invested all this time in like, scripting all these notes out and putting all this thought into it so like you said it was one and done it was and, and the next time they played it it was totally different now he still kept those those same concepts uh, you know th- those guys would be at the five spot uh, in, in New York City or the Vanguard uh, they would go into these jazz clubs and they would go, all right, we're going to do this. And he would, he would walk up to these musicians that were house musicians and he'd say, I'm doing D Dorian. I'm doing 16 bars of this. I'm going E, e flat Dorian. See if you can keep up and here we go. Yeah. Yeah. It, it goes A, A, B, B. You ready? Two, two, there, there, there's a live version of this song you can find on YouTube that is played almost twice as fast. It is a remarkably, it like sounds so different. Because really? The tempo is so much faster. Really? Yeah. I'd, it, I'd love to. I've never seen it. I'd I'll, I'll find that. it for you and I'll send it to you. It's, it's, awesome. it's very, very different. Uh, if we talk about something like that, I'm, I'm usually pretty good about going back and finding it. And uh, I'll try to uh, put those in the show links, by the way. Okay. For the yeah, I'll see if I can find it for you. Okay, uh, well, that was my uh, that was my number four. And uh, 
I love that song. Well, thank you. I love that song so much uh, because I love Miles Davis. One of the absolute greatest. I'm trying to figure out when we're going to diverge here and disagree with each other. And here it's we are. It's about to happen. <laughs> Welcome to the divergence. I was like, when we turn the page, uh, this is going to be a much different conversation. In the 70s, <laughs> speaking of progressive rock, uh, there was a type of, of music that was called jazz fusion. Correct. Uh, that was, uh, it, it came from session musicians uh, that were in the L.A. world, and these cats were like super, super good musicians. Uh, and they developed a, a type of rock and roll called yacht rock. Yacht. As yacht. In, as yacht in rock. I'm on my yacht listening to this. That's right. And uh, I'm not sure that there's a better description for uh, steely dance music than yacht rock. Not not that I would utter on the air. Yeah. Uh, Steely Dan was two guys, Walter Becker right. and Donald Fagan. Uh, everyone else that ever played with them was a ses- session musician. And uh, when I say session musician, I mean these were like day hands that were hired. You come in, I need you to come in for a day, and I'll give you 60 bucks. Yeah, just professional guys that all they did, they made their living just recording on albums. Yep. They didn't tour. They didn't, there was live band. And so Steely Dan would hire live musicians to tour with them. Mm-hmm. Like when they went on the road. Different they had, guys. Yeah, different so guys. they had different, different guys that had a touring band, and then they would bring in different guys to do their studio stuff. But it was That's always right. just the two guys writing and coming up with it all was the only, it was It was only Fagan and Becker. That was it. Uh, and when Becker died, it was only Fagan. Uh, and so now... And, and how, long did, how long did Fagan keep touring without Becker? I think he's maybe had one tour since then. I mean, Walter Becker just that died That was just a recently. couple years ago, right? Yeah, and, okay. Yeah. Uh, you remember on the... On the um, I've talked about this before. One of my favorite Rolling Stones songs is Through and Through. That was one of the only tracks that was sung by, uh, by Keith, Keith Richards. Right. Yeah. Walter Becker didn't sing. He played guitar. Uh, and he had one song that uh, that he sang on, and it was on an album called Everything Must Go, and it's a song called Slang of Ages. And uh, if you've ever gotten into Steely Dan before and you want to hear the great Walter Becker sing, you'll have to go to Everything Must Go and listen to a song called Slang of Ages. And it's so cool. It's a 50, mid-50s-year-old guy who's in a bar trying to pick up a young chick, and you can hear him trying to act all cool and stuff, and he's giving these, hey... At one point, the line goes, "You said you're from the Netherlands, or was that the Netherworld?" Oh my goodness! <laughs> but it's meant to be that way. These guys knew they were cheesy. They knew they were geeks, which is why the song "Deacon Blues" by Steely Dan from the impeccable album "Asia" from 1977 is. This is why this is my number four song of all time. Uh, this song is about change about someone being able to change into whatever they want to be. The words are written from the biggest nerd in the world who's walking down the street and decides he's no longer going to be a nerd and he's going to transform himself into a cool jazz player. Just going to flip the switch on it, huh? Yeah, yeah. And so uh, these guys... Sheer power of will. Yeah. Deacon Jones was a football player that played for the Chargers and the Rams, I believe. Uh, in the uh, in the sixties and seventies, and he was just a total badass. And uh, they thought that song, the name Deacon Jones was cool, and so Deacon uh, Blues, yeah. And so gotcha. they came up with Deacon Blues, and then they called their producer because uh, Fagan and Becker were nerds, and they said, "Hey, we need a cool uh, sports team that has a color in it uh, that's that's really good." And they 
said at that time, Alabama Crimson Tide was, uh, it was Bear Bryant was, you know, he, Alabama is the greatest college football program of all time. Ouch! Oh, oh, my Aggie just spilled out into the floor. So that, that had to hurt to say it, didn't it? <laughs> but they said, no, but you're right. Yeah. Alabama Crimson Tide. And so Crimson Tide Deacon Blues happened to have the exact same amount of syllables, so it fit to the song, therefore Deacon Blues. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, this guy says he is going to become something cool. He looks down at his shadow and says, this is the day of the expanding man. That shape is my shade. He's talking about his shadow. Down where I used to stand. And so he's talking about how he's going to transform himself. Maybe he's some corporate nerd. Maybe he's a computer guy. And he's talking about looking through the window of a glass inside of a bar and transforming himself on stage so that he will, quote, learn to work the saxophone. Learn to work the saxophone. I'll play just what I feel. Drink scotch whiskey all night long. Yeah, and then die behind the wheel. And die behind so, the wheel, right. So he's going to be a tragic blues guy. We just came from blues, uh, which is funny that we, we juxtaposed these the way we did. Well, it actually, it, I was going to make the comment that we actually had the two. I mean, I had actual jazz. You have whatever okay. this kind of jazz is. This is but jazz fusion. But it's both jazz. I mean, it's we had our jazz back to back. Not by plan. It just kind of worked out that way. That's right. And so uh, the, the song ends with him with this fantasy where he's longing to be somebody cool. And the last verse says, this is the night of the expanding man. So he starts with, this is the day of the expanding man. So suddenly he's dreaming, he's daydreaming, and he's put himself in there and he sees himself on stage. And he says, this is the night of the expanding man. I take one last drag as I approach the stand. I cried when I wrote this song. Sue me if it goes too long. This brother is free. I'll be who I want to be. What's beautiful about this song is this is someone who will never ever be this, and it's so desperate and so sad. But he's trying so hard to put himself in there to like envision he's there. Right, right. This is the day of the so clean, so crisp. So uh, the musicianship is fantastic. I mean, obviously we got. Session musicians. I mean, you can only be a session musician if you're a virtual. I mean, you've got to be very, very good, yeah. obviously. So, you know, this isn't five guys in a that started in a garage together. It's not figuring out as they go. So, I mean, the, the, the musicianship's impeccable, without yeah. question. But and this isn't Miles Davis and Coltrane and Chambers and Evans and Cobb so sitting the, around a microphone. And this is yeah, this is the direct opposite yeah. of that. This is a scripted, arranged. You will play these notes. You're coming at this time. Every single note was yeah. scripted, and, and they would bring in session musicians and make them play all day. And if they didn't like it, they would fire and bring somebody else in and record the exact same thing right. on multiple days, stacked on top of each other, and it, which is so overdone, right? But oh that, yeah, but absolutely. That's what Steely Dan was. That's just well, what I mean, they wanted. That was their craft. And, and I think that's that's a fundamental reason I'm not a, a fan because it is too polished and perfect. Yeah, I get it. It just it, you know it just doesn't do it for me it, sure. with that with that level, but. Having said that, I can appreciate how good these guys are. Yeah. One of the session musicians is Bernard Purdy. He's the drummer. Should I recognize that name? You should, because your number 10 song was Fool in the Rain. Right. And John Bonham was playing the Purdy Shuffle, which was a gotcha. little okay. Yeah, okay, okay. Cool. That was the Purdy Shuffle that was named was created by Bernard okay. Purdy, yeah. Some of the uh, musicians, some of the guys that played with Steely Dan, Steve Gadd, who's one of the greatest drummers to ever live, 
Uh, he's not on this track. He, he was actually on the song Asia from the title track. Uh, they, they played with, with uh, I, I believe it's Jeff Porcaro, whose brother Steve was in Toto, and maybe Jeff was in Toto as well. I'm looking at your session notes here. Uh, Lee Rittenauer plays on this, and yeah, I, I know yeah. that name for some reason. Was he a? Did he have I fame he just, as a jazz musician he, he, later on? Maybe he's or? a session guy. Okay. Yeah, just a session guy. By the way, uh, Porcaro, right, was a uh, a counterpart and new Buddy Bate, my teacher. Really? Yeah. That's quite a it's quite a circle you back and forth there. That's all roads lead to Graham. Man, I tell you what, that's the truth. Yeah. I was looking up Lee Rittenauer, and yeah, so he's uh, he's been playing since the '60s. Um, he doesn't hasn't played with anybody I know, but I knew I recognized the name from somewhere. He had an album called Captain Fingers. <laughs> that was my nickname in class. <laughs> oh, stop! <laughs> I told you there's a time and place for everything. I'm, I'm not going to force you to sit through this. No, 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 no. Let's, no, no, listen, no. let's listen to the whole thing. This is your song, man. Go for it. I said I can appreciate the I can appreciate the craft and I can appreciate the the ability and it's a well it's a well structured song and the chorus is actually quite catchy yeah and the lyrics are very good it just just doesn't do anything for me so uh, like if you think about what was happening in the seventies with with jazz fusion uh, cats like uh, Jacob Astorius um, the Weather Underground Weather Report Weather Report yeah, yeah. Weather, weather Underground was, that was a totally different thing The Weather Report this podcast um, is going to get flagged now <laughs> we were not in the Weather Underground no, 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 this is we're not something, this has nothing to do with it was that a terrorist organization yes. knows. Um, but yeah that kind of stuff where the, you had the best musicians ever and, and they were becoming even better and I, I can take a little bit of Weather Report mostly just because of Jocko was just such a fantastic bass player yeah yeah that's a little Kenny G for me right there. Okay. Or maybe I should say Kenny G is a little that. It, 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 yeah, yeah, because it's you, you reverse got order. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yacht Rock is a perfect way to describe this. You get on a boat, you turn this on, you sit back and drink all day. You're just cruising around in the bay, yeah, it's having a good old time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sailboats, you're not by. Sailboats this, are going by. This is all L.A. stuff, right? I, yeah. This is definitely that California... I'm at WKRP <laughs> <Exactly>. in Cincinnati. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to take you all the way through it. No, please uh, do. No, no, no. It, it, it's okay. So, uh, but, but I do want to point out that uh, the, the concept of change to me is a, is a brilliant concept when it comes to, to lyrical composition. The idea that you can be anything that you want to be, in addition to desperation, is also a beautiful concept when it comes to poetry. Uh, so someone who is desperately trying to be something that they're not. Right, right. And you put those together uh, and you have someone who's desperately trying to be something he will never be. And that comes through to me as such a poetic, such a wonderful story. And, and what a, th- I mean, th- that's such a theme in music and art in general, right? But I mean, especially in music, the idea that you can be something that you're not. Um, and it, Talking Heads has a song off Remain in Light where David Byrne basically just talks about, you know, could he by force of will change his face 
to represent his ideal face. Mm. He doesn't like his face. You know, could he just make his face look the way he wants to? It's kind of like this. You know, like, can I be somebody just by wanting to be? Right. You know, can I just force myself into this position? Yeah. And, I mean, you can't, but it makes for a great song. I, I don't know if you can or not. Um, maybe you can. You know, maybe you can try. Sure, sure. I, 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 not to get all silence of the lambs on this thing. <laughs> I was looking at I was like, you know, I change, I want to change. And I was like, no, that is inconsequential. <laughs> well, listen, wanting to uh, change who you are is one thing. Uh, making a suit out of people yeah. is a... <laughs> making a girl suit. And yeah, we, we've gone a different direction there with that. James so. Gum had a big gun. And I don't mean that. No, I mean, yeah. <laughs> It, it was large. Big damn revolver. It was large. Uh, so we're, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, we've gone through our uh, uh, both of our number fives and number fours. Coming up, we are about to dive into our, our top three songs of all time. And this is about to get heavy. It's about to get deep. And we're about to get really serious. Stick with us. This is our favorite albums. Attention retail store owners. Imagine this. Your customer walks in and is greeted by an associate with a tablet in hand. As they browse the store, your rep makes recommendations based on their current selections, all the while building an accurate customer profile that you can use to improve business. On the back end, this powerful retail management software ensures you have the correct inventory on hand, follows up with customers to bring them back to the store, and provide the best possible service. Turn each and every one of your employees into a superstar at RetailProDemo.com. That's Retail prodemo.com This is our favorite albums. That guy over there is Jason. I'm Michael and we're running down our favorite 10 songs of all time, specifically number 5 through number 1. We've already done number 5 and number 4. We started with Summerland by King's X, that's Jason's number 5 song. We went to Time by Pink Floyd. That was my number five, but it was also one of Jason's top fives as well. We did So What by Miles Davis. And we just finished up Steely Dan's Deacon Blues off the 1977 album Asia. By the way, that's not Asia as an A-S-I-A. That's A-J-A. They had to have some artsy pronunciation what are you gonna do, right? i mean what are you gonna do anyway, what are you gonna do we're back into it we are we are hitting our uh, our top three songs that's what we have left this is gonna be fun you know and and we were just kind of talking on the break there off mic about how uh like where what we've done so far we've done four songs we have six to go uh and just how like how meaningful these these songs are this is our top three songs of all time. A lot to talk about. Um, great stuff, too. Um, you know, this, this band that's, um, that's my three is one of my favorite bands of all time. And this is also one of my favorite albums of all time, which is going to be a trend here. Um, this is a track off side 
three, if I remember correctly, on the vinyl. <laughs> okay. Well, if you, if, you get the, if you get the vinyl, it's a... Do you realize how nerdy you just I know, went? I know. I do that sometimes, and people look Side at me like, is three. that really necessary? But I, <laughs> There are two sides to the coin, and four sides to the vinyl. Exactly. Well, it's actually, yeah, there's three sides and then a blank side. Oh. There's really? no music there's on the blank side. The yeah, side. So they, had, they had just enough for three, but not enough for the full four. Really? So, yeah. Interesting. Huh. You'd think they at least put, like, an interview or something in there, right? Well, this was uh, 1991. So I'm sure if they reissued it, they'd put an interview, but they can't yeah. do that. So we're talking about... Uh, this is New Damage by the band Soundgarden off of their amazing album, Bad Motor Finger. Bad Motor Finger, which came out in 1991. 1991. And what have I said about Bad Motor Finger? One of the greatest grunge albums of all time. This One is, of the original foundational grunge albums. Yeah. So th- this is the, the true, true grunge giants that came out in 1991. That was Pearl Jam's 10... It was Bad Motor Finger by Soundgarden and Nirvana's Nevermind. You know what's interesting about that? Is we talked about that in the, the bottom five, if you will. Um, recognizing Nirvana's influence. And I know you're a much bigger Nirvana fan than I am, but right. I thought it was interesting Nirvana didn't make it into the top ten. Uh, I'm going to tell I, you. It, it kind of it surprised me. The, it didn't. the Beatles didn't either. And that and also you, surprised me. And you've me. alluded to the fact that I love the Beatles. Yeah. Uh, I mentioned Pet Sounds by the Beach Boys, or specifically by Brian Wilson, who right. labeled Pet Sounds as a, as a Beach Boys album, but it was actually a, a Brian Wilson album. Right? Uh, there was nothing, even though uh, God Only Knows is one of the greatest songs ever written, uh, one of the most gorgeous songs ever written, it's not one of my top ten favorite songs. It's funny how that works. Yeah. You know, well, we're talking about favorite songs. If I had to sit here and list, like, what is the greatest album that's, of all time? That, that's Fuck, a, I don't know. Well, I that, that's a no different conversation, idea. too, right? I mean, what, 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 I mean uh, objectively, what are we talking about? Like, the, I mean, I, I, I the guess, most perfectly tuned. I mean, it, it's 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 subjective. It's music. It, it is. There's no way in the world you can say which album is the. It was Sergeant Pepper's. <laughs> I can't say which one was the best, but it was obviously a Beatles album. Yeah. But anyway, I, just, I thought that was interesting with the Nirvana. That sounds was number two. So Soundgarden is and was uh, my favorite of the original grunge gods okay. by a long shot. Yeah. Um, and I think Bad, Bad Motor Finger is, it is so dark mm, and gloomy. Heavy. I was almost going to describe grungy as grungy, but it really is. I mean, it's this like plotting, heavy, deep depressing almost in a lot of ways but there's some upbeat tunes on the album as well but the, the whole vibe of the thing is this very heavy um just kind of slogging through it if you will right um very unusual uh mix in my opinion just in the sense that you've got you know the late great chris cornell who has i think possibly the best voice in grunge and one of the best voices in rock and roll yeah yeah period uh, i mean like, I he's mean, at the top of the list as far as the great singers go i mean i'm i'm going to like knock on the door and ask Jeff Buckley if Chris Cornell can hang out with him yeah, in, yeah, yeah. In, in that apartment in the sky. Yeah, uh, I mean, we're we're talking about like one of the absolute great yeah. singers of all time. I, I need you two guys to sit here and sing a song. Can to you me. guys can you guys do something for me? Um, Kim Thiel on guitar is a very interesting guitar player. A lot mm-hmm. of he, he's a style all his own. I mean, he always sounds like himself. Um, Matt Cameron on drums, uh, interesting. Uh, well, I'll, I'll get to that later. Uh, and then Ben Shepard on bass. And Ben Shepard had just joined the band uh, for this album. He wasn't on their first album, which was Louder Than Love, which came out in 89, I think. Mm. And uh, Louder Than Love sounds completely different. But uh, Would you say that the 89 release, was it more of 
kind of that hair metal type. It sounded more like that. Yeah, I, I'm actually not. Gr- grunge came from hair, hair metal, right? Sure, sure. Among other things. But yeah, I, I'm not a fan of Louder Than Love. It okay. doesn't do anything for me. This is, I would say that this is the first Soundgarden album, okay. in, in my opinion. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm going to crank it up. This is New Damage by Soundgarden from uh, Bad Motor Finger in 1991. There it is. <laughs> and here we go. I mean, right off the top, you've got guitar and belting vocals and that that heavy groove that we were talking about just like if if, if we're going to define what a grunge song has to have it has to have a crazy painful guitar sound that's probably going through a boss pedal oh i'm sure kim thal has a lot of pedals yeah uh it's going to have two and four pop it's going to have a crazy bass and that that guitar tone is so thick just getting it I mean it's just it's like sludge almost it's so thick and to the point that whenever they hit the little high notes at the end of the riff that little almost you know coming off the chord there it really stands out quite a bit because everything else is so deep and heavy it, here we go I mean you like drums Cameron's a fantastic drummer. Yeah. And this guy's this guy's a beast. He's he's hitting the head really, really hard. Yeah, he's a beast. Yeah. My drum head is what I mean. <laughs> yeah, I know what you meant. <laughs> you dirty people. Dirty, dirty, dirty. Something awful. And he's talking about an existential doom here. He's talking about like everything everything is crashing down around him. Yeah, when when new damage comes, it's a faceless poison. Yeah. It's a new world order. I mean, keep in mind, this is the early 90s. You've got the New World for Pain, New World Order, I mean, all this stuff. I mean, it's, it's dark, and it's... Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. These definitely... It's a, it's the sense of impending. It's, it's coming down do. on you. Yeah. The guitar in the background. Just, I, I know you pretty well. Would yeah. you say I know you pretty well? Oh, I would, that would, <laughs> we spent a lot of time together. I thought for sure Black Hole Sun was going to be here. Really? Yeah. No. It, it would not. It would not have made the cut. I mean, obviously it didn't. Right. Well, fair, uh, fair point. Now there's a there's a stack of Soundgarden songs that were in contention, but when I had to think about my favorite of all time, this was this was the one. And you know, this is interesting because these guys are dramatically different than the other two gods of grunge that we just talked about. Like they could not be more, even though they're all lumped into the same thing and they all came from the same town, they could not sound more different. From Nirvana or Pearl Jam, not at all. Like, not even in the same ballpark, in my opinion. Uh, so, uh, we ridiculed Eddie Vedder's vocals, right? Sure. Uh, we can go ahead and take a big steaming pile of shit drop on Kurt Cobain's, Kurt Cobain's vocals. vocals. Yeah, yeah. But he would admit to you that he wasn't even trying. And that was one of the other uh, one of the other things about grunge uh, is that you don't try when it comes to lyrics. Like, you don't when it comes to vocals. Like, you're not trying at all. Yeah, but he. But Chris Cornell is. Chris Cornell doesn't have to try. He's just that, that good. That's what's yeah. so amazing. Yeah. Did you ever hear him do uh, Nothing Compares to You? Yeah. Oh. That's pretty insane, isn't it? I mean, he could sing anything. He just chose to sing this. Yeah. Listen to those notes. All he's hitting. It almost kind of stumbles into itself at that point where it goes... It's like dragging you. 
God, yeah. I, I hate to do this. I hate to do this. I just talked about David Gilmore putting a lot of air under his notes. These guys are putting a lot of air under every single beat. Oh, yeah. They're dragging you from one they, beat they to absolutely the other. Are. And, and that's what's so beautiful about this musicianship uh, is that the walk down, that minor walk down that we talked about uh, before. And, and these guys, if you wanted to pick a uh, like a classic rock band or something as an influence or something that they sound like, I would say that it would be Black Sabbath. Yeah. With the, the heaviness and then just, just the plotting. And these guys could play fast, but mostly they played like this. Oh, I'd like for us to do a Black Sabbath album. It, it's going to be hard for me to do that because... Yeah, me too. I, I, I find them relatively grating, even though I think Geezer Butler is, is pretty badass. Once again, I appreciate what they were up to, and I can appreciate the influence, but it's not necessarily one of my favorite things. Yeah. So. Let's listen to Insanity here at the end. like failure from before remember when i said the chaotic where it feels like right. crazy inside like the, the desperation where you're trying to break out of uh, of the impending doom and you're trying to get out that's that's what this feels like it's you know. this never gets old for me man his notes the, the guitar playing and the range that Cornell has, unbelievable. And if you consider the fact that Kim Thal's basically been playing a guitar solo for like two minutes. <laughs> that was almost a bluesy ending. One of the things I'm so happy ended uh, with 80s, there's a lot of stuff about 80s hair metal stuff that I absolutely hate. But one of the things I'm so happy uh, was stopped almost was the fade out end. The song that never ends. Yeah. Yeah. Here I go again. The studio producer yeah, just takes the fader down. Yeah. He's like, you guys play this for 15 or 16 <laughs> times. And when I think we've had enough cuts, I'll just slowly fade you down. It's like, don't you, you knew how to start the song? How can you not end it? You got to know how to end the song, right? Yeah. And, and as great as Mutt Lang was, I mean, how many ACDC songs just kind of ended like that? Just kind of faded into the ether. Yeah. That's, it bothered, that that kind of stuff just bothers me because like, okay, if you hear a song live, which is the best way to hear a song, yeah. you know, it starts at the front, you listen all the way through, it ends. Yeah. That's how it's supposed to work, right? Yeah. Um, this is, these guys, I also got to see at Lollapalooza in 92 along with Pearl Jam. Good God. And yes, they what were. What a show. And they huh? were very good. My goodness. That would be putting it mildly. A fun fact for you, um, Matt Cameron has been drumming for Pearl Jam since 1998. What does Pearl Jam have to do with this? Well, you had Pearl Jam in your list, so I just thought that was a fun connection back. So Soundgarden's drummer oh. joined Pearl Jam in 98 and has played for them ever since. No kidding. Yeah, and when Soundgarden got back together a few years ago, or several years ago, uh, he was playing for both bands at the same time. Really? Mm-hmm. Hmm. I knew Chris Cornell uh, and Eddie Vedder were friends because they had the composition. Temple of the Dog. Temple of the Dog, yeah. yeah. And they had that uh, that song that uh, was as much of a part of the grunge movement as 
any of the other. Are you talking about hunger strike? Yeah, yeah. That was that was a lot of. <laughs> I mean, that was that song was on the radio and MTV twenty four seven. Yeah. in that time period, yeah. right? So that was. I mean, and, and who was that? That was uh, Chris Eddie Cornell, Vedder, Chris Cornell, Eddie right? Vedder, uh, Stone Gassard, and Mike McCready from Pearl Jam as well. Okay, and then. Uh, Maybe Mac Cameron on drums. I can't remember. Really? I'm not sure who was on bass with that. I should know that. Interesting. But it was those because all of those guys were friends with uh, the lead singer of who died. Uh, Stone Temple Pilots. No. Allison Chains. No. Walter Becker. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you. We're going to come back to it later. <laughs> okay. I'm going to let you think on that for a little bit because you should know that. Say, say the question one more time. Those guys were all friends with a guy who died. In fact, I'll give you a hint. Uh, two of the guys from Pearl Jam were in the band with him before he died. Is it, you're not talking about Lane Staley? No. Huh. Okay. I don't know. Mother Love Bone. <gasps> oh, oh, okay, okay. And yeah. Mother Love Bone was one of the, one of the other this early, yeah, Mother Love Bone, they had one album. Early grunge. Early. Uh, singer Dies a Heroin. And so... Chris Cornell and Stone Gassard both were friends with him and, and put the super group together, Temple of the Dog. Eddie Vedder's just joined Pearl Jam, comes along to sing on one of the tracks. Really? So, yeah. Well, I'll be damned. Maybe two tracks. I can't remember for sure. Dang. That's a good one. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. So that was my... You're here to learn, folks. <laughs> you come across here a couple of tunes geeks, and if you're you going to get some information. If you want some random information, uh, we might be the guys for you. Yeah, so that was that's my number three, New Damage, Soundgarden, Bad Motorfinger. Interesting. Your number three song is New Damage by Soundgarden. It is. I I think that is a great song. Um, I, I don't know how many times I've skipped over it. Uh, you, because it would come up and it's just like... And maybe that impending doom is the thing that was so jarring. You know, with, with the sure. impending doom and Chris Cornell's... It just... It, it, they're not even erratic vocals. They are, they are, they are definitely deliberate. Oh, yeah. Uh, but they scare me. Right? Sure. I understand. Well, that song, like I said, it's kind of plotting. It's super dark. There's stuff all over the place with it. Um, it's not one of the more catchy, upbeat, moving forward songs on the album. It's an easy one to skip over, I think. Sure. Sure. And, and what's funny, though, is uh, with that like chaotic feel, with that plotting, there's still a melody there. Well, uh, and, and that's the thing. See, I, I've always hated a lot of the, like, if you if the guy can't sing, it really bugs me. Hmm. Like it really bugs me a lot. I can't do the screaming thing. The, the off-key nonsense just really gets on my nerves. Uh, and he is a master singer. Yeah, so. he is. It's it's good. Don't get me wrong. It's just it's just different. No, I, no, I, I get you. We realized once we got to this point that the episode was going to go way longer than we expected. So we finished up our number five and our number four songs apiece. We'll come back with another episode split so that we cover our top three songs. Thank you so much for joining us. This is Michael, that's Jason, and this is our favorite albums. 